You are now listening to Sweep the Rack Podcast featuring Brooklyn Rob and Big Mike. Rob, what's good, homie? Yo, Mike. It's uh, been a been a while, but uh, I'm gonna start this uh, podcast off with a funny little story of where I was Friday night, and I know you'll be interested in this. Uh, so, my friend, uh, she's a competitive pole dancer. So, this, the the finals of this like competition were in downtown Chicago for the last uh, for last weekend. So. I told her that uh, I would go watch. And uh, so, yeah, I went Friday night and watched about two hours of uh, pole dancing. So <laughs> I-, I thought that was pretty interesting is like, I didn't even realize that there was competitive pole dancing out there, but it's there and it's pretty big. I don't even know which direction to go with that. Uh, like, <clears throat> are the, uh, how could I ask this question? Um, are, are, are these, I, I would assume it's all females. Yes. Yeah. They, they do have a male competitive pole dancing, but, uh, yeah, I probably wouldn't have stayed for that just because I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't want to watch that, but yeah, uh, it's pretty, now, uh, it's, do, do most of these girls like, do they, um, come from the line of work that I guess we would stereotypically expect them to come from? Uh, Yes, I definitely met one in the crowd. Uh, that was actually uh, her coach, and I sat next to her while the competition was going on. Uh, and that was pretty funny because I, here I am, like giving giving her pointers. I'm like, oh yeah, that that looks good. And they're like, well, <laughs> what kind of experience do you have with pole dancing? I'm like, I mean, deja vu is only three minutes away from uh, my college, so. You know, we had plenty of trip there. So it felt like I was an expert in that field, Mike. I was giving some good advice. So maybe next uh, podcast will be uh, that I, that we'll start will be about competitive pole dancing. So I would assume that at this event, like the ratio of females to males was probably pretty high, right? Oh, yeah. They must. I'd say probably mostly girls and their families probably go watch this. I, I, it wasn't like a, like a fraternity walked in and just sat there and like watched and like, it, it wasn't like that. It was, it was a, a just figure like any kind of dance competition. And, and I know, you know, you have some daughters in dance, right? Um, so figure like some dance competition, but just pole dancing. And it's, it's, in, it's extremely hard. I mean, just from looking at it and these girls are mostly like gymnasts or, uh, adult entertainers uh but these girls man strong core is just what they do on that pole is like super impressive and uh yeah it was just it, interesting i didn't know what to expect walking in there i didn't know if it was going to be like just a bunch of like perv dudes like that go watch these things or just like kind of a family fun atmosphere and it was it was family fun it was just a lot of girls and a lot of girls in their their, their schools so it was like very cliquish and almost like you got served where like there was competitive, like with girls, like almost like talking shit. But, uh, one girl that real quick, that was, uh, on the, on the, doing the performance. And she had like five or six, like girls of her friends that were sitting right behind me. And all you hear was like, 
get it, bitch. Get it, bitch. Like, yeah, do that shit. And like, just swearing up and down, like every time she pulled some move and yeah, that's the way to do it, bitch. Like she was just getting all into it. And I'm like, holy shit, like this is getting crazy. But it, it was kind of funny, like a definitely a different experience, like. So, so you, you totally went in the direction I was not going to go in there, but that's okay. What I was thinking was, <clears throat> you know, with that ratio, how did you make out? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I like wasn't there to oh, like, geez. these were like younger girls, Mike. Like these were oh, like, Rob, Rob, that's so weird, Rob, Rob, it's yeah. so bad. You can't, you can't even, you can't, you can't even, you know, uh, make some progress at a, at a pole dancing competition. I mean, that sounds like fishing with dynamite, my dude. No, you see, I, we went out after and we hung out with a bunch of like the girls and I was kind of talking to her coach who, who, you know, was a, a stripper or a dollar entertainer. And then the more I talked to her on the mic, oh, like she's definitely like not my type. And that's pretty much all I'm going to say because, you know, since I don't want to like say anything bad, but you're just not my type. Uh, so, yeah, I mean – it was just weird. Like there was just so much. I mean, what am I going to do? Might go over to like, like five or six girls that are like 22, 23 year old girls and just be like, Hey, like, you know, what's going on? What's up? Like come here often. I mean, like, what do you even say to somebody? It's just one of those. Like, no, you find well, out, you find out like where the, where the after party is for the event. You find out where all the people that are part of the event are hanging out. You make sure you go hang out there. You, you use your friend who was in the competition to, uh, get into the after event when people say, Oh, what do you, why are you here? You say, Oh, well, one of my good friends was in the competition. I, you know, I found it very interesting. You, you listen to their nonsense about these, this pole dancing competition. And to be clear, you mentioned, I have daughters and as a famous comedian once said, you know, it's, it's our job to keep them off the pole. And I think that includes pole dancing competitions. So I'm going to, I'm going to take this, you know, uh, as an advisement and, uh, yeah, I don't know. You you always have something interesting to uh, to bring to the table. I'll say that. You know, when you're a single guy and you live in the city, you you manage to find ways to like uh, get in, in, into some funny stuff. And uh, yeah, uh, got into a fight at PetSmart, so that was kind of funny. Yeah, uh, yesterday, uh, that was actually a fight with the the, the workers there. Ended up getting a free dog grooming. So 110 dollars free free dog grooming because I brought such a shit storm down on them. Uh, so I think that might be for a whole nother podcast to talk about that, but that was interesting too. So, uh, what have you been up to? Uh, no, man, busy preparing for the upcoming holiday hosting Thanksgiving. So a lot going on, a lot of preparations, uh, mom's up for the Thanksgiving holiday. So, uh, yeah, just, you know, a lot going on, a lot of, a lot of things popping off. I actually, Mm -hmm. I finally got the invite to a Sixers game from our, from our boy. And uh, I'm actually unable to go because it's Thanksgiving Eve is the game. So I just have too much going on. But shout to him for giving me the invite. Appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, just just busy, man. You know, very very busy with the holiday season. So uh, bowling-wise, you know, there's a lot to talk about. Uh, We're going to talk about China tonight. Yes, Rob? Yeah, and the lack thereof of China pretty much almost felt like a, a secret underground tournament that nobody knew about yeah. what was going on. Yeah, it was like some it was like some Van Dam shit from from uh you know like, like Lionheart or something. I mean it was like totally underground. Uh we're gonna talk about uh Rash winning in China. We're gonna talk some more uh Ebonite news. 
uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to talk quite a few things, but, uh, the first thing Rob that we're going to talk about, uh, is we are going to talk about, uh, the Bolero elite series because, mm. uh, one, one of, one of our guys who we've had on the show before, uh, and, and we're going to bring them on in a second here, uh, got picked, man. And they made, they made quite a good decision, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> Yo, I, I've been practicing. Mike. <laughs> All right. Well, you've been practicing. Maybe he can evaluate your uh, your laugh since you've been practicing. Uh, we bring him on. Uh, none other than from from Dougie Vision. Remember, it's not TV. It's Dougie Vision. Uh, and now he's going to be appearing on the uh, Bolero Elite Series coming up in Florida. Uh, we welcome back. He's been on a couple times before. Uh, our guy Dougie. What's up, man? Yeah, what's going on, man? But hey, you for, you forgot the baby. It's Dougie Vision, baby. You know what I'm saying? Okay. All right. Uh, what? Do you, how would you evaluate Rob's uh, Rob's laugh? He said he's been working like uh, one out of ten. No, nah, he he's like he's like heh There's no heh. It's, it's ha ha ha. You know. Uh, so, but I, I gave him like a you know he's like a two. He's close. Uh, not even. He got the wrong he got the wrong uh, vowels in there. You know what I mean? But it's all good. <laughs> okay so uh yeah dougie welcome back to the show man and uh we appreciate the time as always uh we know you're 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 very busy you know i we we talk personally so i just i just know in general that you're busy we're not we're not going to keep you too long but we actually wanted to have you on a couple weeks ago just to get an update on uh dougie vision and what was going on and then uh you know new news broke that uh that you know you got picked for the bolero elite series so we decided that we would wait until you were able to uh, come on and talk about it. So give us your thoughts, man. How, how does it feel to get picked for that? I, personally, I'm thrilled for you. I had, I had lobbied for you on Twitter to Bolero Elite Series on Twitter and told them, you know, you got to pick Dougie. If you don't pick Dougie, it's a huge mistake. So I think they really made a good move on their part uh, by picking you. But talk a little bit about how it feels to, to get this opportunity. No, it, it, it feels good, man. I mean, I don't know. It, it's it's a lot, a lot going on. I guess. Um, you know, my whole my whole year has been like crazy. But um, I mean, to be picked by by them to have a chance at like you know, obviously the, the, the money, but you know, to, to just be showcased somehow on, on TV, national TV, it, it's it's crazy. Like you know, I wouldn't have thought about it. I wouldn't have thought that this would be like what the what everything that I've been doing would kind of culminate with. But um, I'm gonna go down there. I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to win. I'm gonna try to figure out some strikes, you know. And um, <laughs> maybe we get lucky, man. All right. So, are you gonna wear the hat while bowling the competition? Yeah, they they told me. I I, I asked oh. that already. <laughs> I'm gonna be the first. I'm gonna be the first person on uh, <laughs> probably bowling against the pros. Hopefully, wearing a wearing a pink hat. So um, I'm actually planning on. <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna look it's gonna look good. I'm planning on buying some more, ordering some more. I'm gonna hand them out to the crowd. So we're gonna have the pink hats in the crowd, whether I'm in the finals or not. You know, they're gonna you're gonna see the hats. The hats will be there. Oh, perfect! I love it. Uh, so <laughs> my, we have a couple other questions. Are you? Uh, I I saw a little bit in the responses to your uh, Facebook post about it, where you announced that you got picked, and that got like crazy amount of response and love. Uh, yeah. So my question is 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 there a possibility that a number of Dougie Vision acolytes are going to follow you down to Florida and make the journey to to kind of give you 
part of a, a home field advantage down there? I was told that they would. Um, I was, uh, I mean, everyone's like asking, well, when are we going to like take information? I'm still waiting on that right now. But, you know, people are saying they're going to take the trip down, which is surprising to me because it's, it's so late. It's close to Christmas. Um, and the travel, obviously, during that time, it, it gets a little expensive. But people say they will. Um, I got some Dougie Vision followers in Florida that I didn't know about, apparently. And, um, you know, they're, they're saying they, they want to come out. They want to come through. And um, so we might have... It might. I mean, I know there's one person from Florida that they chose, but we might be a fan favorite if we can make it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That would be a huge advantage, and uh, that's not surprising at all. Uh, Dougie Vision is worldwide, okay? And I, I say I say that in all seriousness. I don't I don't say that joking around at all. I think that there's people all over that that know about it. So wouldn't be surprised if there are some local people that come out to to show support. So how are you preparing, Dougie? I bowled with you before. You know, I, I want to know, are you putting in the work? <laughs> I mean, your your spare game was kind of whack, bro. Yeah, so, yeah man, we did, that's, you, a, that's all right. That's all right. We're planning on, uh, you know, we got the storm contract going now. So, um, you know, we're getting some new equipment. We got my guy, uh, Lucas. I, I got Lucas with the good hair. You know, he's taking care of me over there. Um, you know, we're bringing some, some new equipment down. And um, hopefully, like I said, we won't have to worry about spares. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> I, I think we, we're going to do fine. We're going to do good. I think we'll be all right. You know, it's just oh, a matter bro. of... Um, not he says you don't need to worry about spares. I don't know, Rob. <laughs> you know, I, I went to the Bolero series and watched last time, and I got to say, there were a lot of nerves cracking out there on not only the not only the amateur side but the pro side as well. And, uh, yeah, spares were a part of it too. So, I don't know, man. Hey, I put some work in on the spare game a little bit. I'm just hoping the bar is open, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> oh. I don't know how that works, but <laughs> – that, that's that's obviously key. Obviously key. We we all know you like to have a good time while you're out there. Uh, can't wait to see it. You know, if, if we don't speak to you, I mean, I'm sure I'll speak to you personally before you bowl. But uh, yeah, good luck, man. You know, and, uh, and and make the best of it. You know, not as you said, not only for the financial aspect of it, but also for the exposure aspect of it too. Uh, and you know, if you want to get a, if you want to get a practice session in. Before you leave, let me know. I'm more, I'm more than willing to uh, go out and practice with you, get some work in. Maybe maybe me, you, and Lucas with the good hair can uh, can meet up one day and get a get a practice session in. Uh, let's let's well, talk about Dougie Vision, man. Let's talk about okay. your your you know your crown jewel. Uh, so recent match wise, I know it's been a while since you came on, but you know over the scope of the last I'd say month or so. You know, give, give us some of your recent highlights. Like a couple things that have popped up on my radar was uh, Robert Fusick, re- East Regional Bowler. Robert Fusick. Uh, yeah, Fusick. Uh, 866 or something. So, go ahead. Give us the rundown on that. Yeah, we uh, we went down to Deptford, down South Jersey, Philly area. Um, and, and Rob Fusick, he, he, took, he took a match actually the week before, the or two weeks before, when we were down in that same, uh, the same house. Um, he bowled against a guy and shot 800 against that guy, you know. So then him and his brother bowled the doubles match uh, two weeks later. And he, this guy, he went, I put the the videos on the YouTube. You know what I mean? You guys can check it out. Go to Dougie Vision, D-O-U-G-I-E-E-E Vision on uh, YouTube and uh, check it out. But Rob Fusick in, in his doubles match, he had 300 the first game. He had 300 the second game. He had the front five the third game. Ended up with uh, a 266, but he shot 866 in that match. But just just went crazy. So, you know, we got highlights of that. Um, we've had also in the last month, we had a uh, U.S. Open champion, uh, Frankie Lavoie was uh, in the area and, uh, he took on a match against one of the local guys, Dutesh. 
you know. So um, he he was on our on our show too. But Dougie Vision itself, it's it's uh like you said, it's it's growing in terms of who's watching. We got like eighteen hundred subscribers now. Um, back when we talked before, we probably only had five hundred. You know what I mean? So that's thirteen hundred new people in in the last four months, and um, they're everywhere. You know, everywhere. <laughs> so it's yeah, so it's going. Good. Tell us, tell us a little bit about uh, the Francois Laveau match. Uh, who did he bowl? How'd the match go? What were the stakes? All right, so he, he bowled. Uh, he was like I said, he was there doing a, a demo with uh, O'Grady, um, and you know we started the we started the Dougie Vision, and he's standing around, and he uh, ended up in the match against this guy uh, Dutesh. Um, we call him Do. Do in the past has bowled against O'Grady. He was the first person to uh, just say, "Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the match with OG." Um, you know, dude doesn't care who he bowls against. He, he he got money like that. So, you know, he him and uh, Lavoie they did a best of three. Um, first at, first of two games wins. Uh, I think they only played for like two hundred. But you know, either way, um, they they went on. They they started the match. I think Frankie won the first game. Dutesh won the second game, and then the third game, Frankie just went crazy. You know, crazy with the strikes. But he had fun. He had a good time. We all had a good time. There was a big crowd watching him. Um, you know, it's. Like I said, we've had a lot of a lot of pros come through, so I'm appreciative that, for everybody. That that, uh, that one is on YouTube as well. If people want to check it out, yes, yes, sir. Uh, Frankie Lavoie, we got his, uh, we got the whole show, and then we have just the match highlights with uh, featuring just him, just uh, the Frankie Lavoie clip. So, you know, okay. I would say check it out. All right, so you you brought up uh, our our guy, another one of our guys, uh, OG. And uh, recently, on, on one of your videos that I checked out, I think from the other night, uh, <laughs> yeah. I was kind of concerned because I heard that there was a, a rumor going around that he was possibly going to catch some charges in Linden for uh, for what <laughs> went down over there. Do you do you want to explain? Oh yeah. So um, we tried. Uh, OG hit me up. You know, they, everybody hits me up and they say, "Oh, let me get a match." And uh, so we tried. We posted that he wanted a match, and nobody took the match. You know. All the 240 average guys, no one took the match. And then out of nowhere, some guy from uh, from like the shore area, um, Brian Rossiter. You know, people like who who is this guy? Who is this guy? He's like a 220 average guy, but he said I I I bowl. <laughs> he came out the gate against OG with like a 150. <laughs> like we're just like looking around, like what what is going on? But the match itself ended up be, uh, going to game five. It was a best of five for like um, 250 dollars. It ended up going to game five. It, it didn't look good to, uh, to start, but you know, it worked out. OG, he's uh, he takes matches against a lot of the, the local guys. Um, he doesn't win every time either. You know, he loses a lot, to be honest. But um, <laughs> he always walks out. <laughs> yeah, Damn, he loses a lot. <laughs> oh, you know, if, if he's not if he's not losing, he's going to like the last game, the deciding game too, which I, I'm not really understanding because we're on a house shot, but. You know, it is what it is, and uh, but he he's a big supporter of supporter of what we do. Um, he's always out there, even if he's not bowling, he comes out, hangs out, you know, chills with us, uh, him and Dunleavy, and um, you know, we just have fun. Yeah, shout to Dan Dunleavy. Uh, that's my former college teammate and uh, an avid listener of Sweet the Rack. So shout to him. I, I saw him making a, a recent appearance on Dougie Vision as well. All right, last thing that we want to talk to you about before we get you out of here. Uh, our guy from the ringing 10, Jimmy, uh, put put video the other day. I know you're not, you don't have so much of a presence on Twitter and we're kind of, that's, that's our main social media outlet, I would say right now. So uh, a video came up that, uh, that featured somebody running a shot 
out down the lane, like jumping up on the gutter caps and running it out down the lane as the mm-hmm. ball went towards the pins and hit the pins. There was a little bit of an argument as to whether or not that was a foul or not. I mean, obviously, <laughs> everybody came on and said, oh, that's a foul. I tried to explain that, you know, at least in New Jersey and the New York area uh, in action that there, there are no fouls. So that would not be yeah. considered a foul. So first of all, give us the give us the rundown on how that occurred, and you know, again, try and explain to the people you know how things work. Go ahead. No, I'm not sure where it originated from. The, a lot of people say uh, back in the old the old school days, you know, guys like the Beeper. I don't know if you know these guys, but uh, Beeper, who's actually been out in Dougie Vision a few times uh, recently, he's older now, but they say he used to always hit the foul and hit the foul, and so they turn them off. Um, like with us, like you know, they they the guys are making their own rules for the most part. Um, no fouls in action, so you'll see the guys like Mush and they'll they'll throw the ball and and you know then start running on the gutter cap and it counts. Um, we we count it, you know, just like if if the, the 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 gate came down and knocked the pin over, we count it. You know, we we mark it as a spare. You know what I mean? So there's different different house rules that we follow, but um, the no fouls in action where it came from, I'm not real sure exactly where it originated. Um. But that's something that we follow. Some of the guys down in North Carolina that that uh, that are bold against us, they don't like it. <laughs> so, but it is what no, it is. No, I mean, you know? I mean, what was the situation with that particular person running out that particular shot? Was it was a Dougie Vision uh, video? Yeah, Just, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh well, oh, I'm not, I'm not sure. Then I mean, we haven't had any confrontation about uh, that I'm aware of. Um, I think we did have one video, one one issue back when uh, Kyle Troop showed up. He bowled against Conover. I think you were actually there with us um, in person. No, no, and, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a controversy. It was just the controversy was in the discussion. Okay. The controversy was in the discussion, but uh, yeah, right. definitely. I'm looking at the video right now. It's definitely Dougie Vision. It's at Linden. Okay. And uh, okay. a shot is thrown, and I can't I can't tell who it is because the video is a little grainy because it's a copy. But uh, yeah, yeah, the person runs it out down the lane, you know, right on, okay. right on the gutter cap. Well, and, Mike, uh, it, ha- it has to be mush. It has to okay. be mush. Okay, all right. Play. So, the conversation, to be clear, broke out on Twitter when oh. several people said, "Well, that's a foul," and I tried to explain, "No, in, in Jersey and New York, you know, that would not be considered yeah. a foul." Go ahead, Rob. You wanted to uh, chime in. Yeah, uh, I know we were having a little bit of a discussion on Twitter, um, like, tr- fi- like figuring out what to call it because it's not a oh. run out. Because you're running it out down, no, like right. It's not a run out. They're running. They're running. They're running forward instead of running. Right. So what do you call it? It's got to be a run down. Tiger Woods, like the Tiger Woods, like you know how he like (laughs) he runs after the only point at it. There are some guys that that will throw the ball, you know, and uh, and and run and walk the gutter cap, you know, as a as a as a show showboat type of type of deal. But uh, you know, we don't count it as anything. You know, the ball's gone. You know what I mean? Everyone kind of knows who's going to do it or who's going to try that type of thing. But we haven't had anybody that walks the whole lane or whatever and throws the ball. Put it that way. You know what I mean? So we don't count. We don't I play think... with the foul lights on. We okay. don't count as a foul. You know, that's just us. <laughs> I think uh, I like think it. another name for it could be running the cap. Mm-hmm. Run, you know, I'm running yeah, the cap. Like, yeah, I ran, I ran the cap on him. You know, he he stepped cap, up yep. and slapped it out on me, and then I ran the cap on his ass. How does it, how yeah. did, how did he like that? I kind of I kind of like the ring of that. I do. I think I think <laughs> the PBA should maybe think about allowing that, where it wouldn't be a foul as long as you run as long as you run the cap on somebody. Rob, you good with that? 
Yeah, I'm good with that. Or like maybe like walking the line or running the line or, or running the tightrope or something like that. But yeah, no, I get it. That's good, though, Mike. I, I kind of like that. No, we got to have our own thing, man. Let us, let us have our own stuff. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to take the, the best and most entertaining parts of what yeah. you guys do, you know, and, and, and what these different uh, outlets in bowling do and, and bring, them, uh, bring the best parts to everyone. Right, everyone. Well, let, let let me make it to the TV final, and you might get some of those uh, outlets for the public view. You know what I mean? <laughs> just oh, like man. you guys saw, you guys saw what happened with Kyle Troop and Pete Weber. You know, just that's let a, me get to the end. That's a huge mental advantage if you can get Bolero to agree that there's no foul if you run the cap on them, and you do that, <laughs> they're going to want a foul, and it will be no. You could clear it before you get on the show, man. They would be well, I won't, I won't do it because I'm kind of clumsy, but, you know, <laughs> that's just okay. me. All right. Gotcha. All <laughs> right, man. We, uh, we appreciate the time. I know you were busy tonight, but, uh, you know, definitely appreciate you coming on. Again, congratulations on getting picked. Uh, we, know, we know, you know, you mentioned you dropped, you know, you dropped that you're, you're sponsored by Storm. He beat Pete Weber and uh, Kyle Troop, Rob, as we know. Uh, so, obviously, you want to give a shout to Storm. But uh, what other plugs do you have, Dougie? Who else is supporting you right now, doing your thing? Yeah, we got uh, we got Storm Nation. Obviously, we got uh, Buddy's Pro Shop. They uh, support our Dougie Vision thing. We got a friend that does these uh, bowl dry with these uh, little fans. Uh, soon, I think we're gonna be working with uh, Logo Infusion. I think as well too. So we got we got some people that are interested in what we're doing. Uh, many styles of bowling. Everyone seems to be interested. Somebody wants a piece. Everybody wants a piece of it. So you know. Just go to the YouTube channel, Ducky Vision Action Bowling. Look, look for me on Facebook, Douglas Heron, H E W R O N. Follow Sweet the Racks, who obviously you guys are here. So, you know, you guys, I love you guys. <laughs> no doubt. Much love, man. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll talk to you. Good there luck. You go. That's a 10 right there. That's a 10. <laughs> we'll, we'll, have you on, uh, we'll have you on after the Bolero Elite Series, man, and uh, hear about your experience. Hey, are you going to be down in this, this time? Uh, man, if I can make that happen, that would be amazing. But I don't, I don't know schedule wise if that's going to be able to happen. I got, I got. If I got tickets, I man, you got one. I'm just saying. But you got to wear the hat and the shirt. That very much. <laughs> I already, I already got the t-shirt. You don't have to worry about that. The hat you'll need to supply me with, but the t-shirt okay. I got no problem. Well, you got, got two. you got double XL on that on that head. Oh, I got. I mean, let me say the T-shirt is of a high quality. All right, and to anybody who knows me, I always support and show love. So I bought two of those, John. So I don't even want to hear about it. So if I do yeah. come, I already got the T-shirt. That's. I don't even need to bring that. And I would just bring the T-shirts, and you know, that's it. I would show up and be ready to go. So good luck, you man. Need a ball too, right? All right, man. All right, Mike. All yeah, right, Rob. Yeah. Thank you guys. Pick, pick right, somebody buddy. good to be good down luck, there man. with you. Man. You know, make sure make sure you got somebody that you trust down there with you and. uh Good luck. We I'm hope to see you. Look for the prettiest person in the crowd and say, "Come be on no, TV with me." You know what I mean? No, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> wisely, sir. Hey, it's not TV, y'all. It's Dougie Vision, baby. Let's go. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Later, man. Take it easy. All right, later. <laughs> All right, Rob. Always entertaining to have uh, to have our, our our guy Dougie on, man. Yeah, I'm happy Bolero picked him. Like he, he hopefully he brings some. Uh, you know, character and I mean, he will bring character, but hopefully they let him show his personality and his character. And I want him to make the show. And I, I kind of love to see him win, man. I'm, I'm serious too. That would be so great, man. Like just to see him like with a pink hat and, and just running over everybody, you know, that would be awesome. Uh, but, uh, you know, 
ha- like happy that happened because it doesn't seem like uh, Bolero uh, does do a great job in picking the amateurs. I feel like they could do a better job screening the amateurs and get more people like Dougie on their show. Uh, I feel like just just from previous shows, I feel like they could have done a better job. But kudos to like Bolero for picking Dougie because I think they need more of Dougie and less of everybody else who they've been picking for as their amateur. No, no offense to anybody else who's been on the show that I know. <laughs> yeah, so uh, there's there are a couple other. You know, I, I honestly I told Dougie that you know there's some tough competition I think in this uh, in this yeah. particular oh, Greg Thompson. Great, great yeah, Thompson, yeah. Great I mean, obviously, you know, that's that's one of the people I'm referring to. But there was somebody else who it said, you know, had a had a couple of regional titles, I think. So I get, you know, anybody who has a couple of regional titles, I assume, can play. But uh, yeah, I'm not. I, honestly, I'm not even sure if like somebody who has a regional title should be eligible for something of that nature. I think that at that point, you should kind of be considered professional as, a, as opposed to amateur. But um. Yeah, care. you know, I, I'm I'm thrilled for Dougie. I agree. I think it was a great, uh, I think it was a great idea for for Bolero to pick him and give him a shot. I hope that it gives them a lot of exposure as well for the event. And uh, yeah, it should be interesting, man. Uh, like I said, I wish him luck. So always interesting to have him on. And, and, and as he said, if you guys haven't already, definitely check out his YouTube page. Give him a follow. Uh, you know, he he the, the videos are, are quite entertaining, not only for the bowling but but also for. Uh, for the entertainment value that he brings to it as well. So definitely yep. check that out if you haven't. Yep. So, uh, Rob, we, uh, we keeping it moving here or what? You know, you know how we do it. All right. Let's, uh, we, we, we have another guest for the people tonight. Uh, you know, th- things have, you know, slowed down with the PBA tour a little bit, Rob. And, uh, you know, when we started this podcast, which is the, almost a year coming up, uh, we definitely wanted to, get into some of the various personalities in bowling, right? And and some of the the stories that people might not be super familiar with or, you know, they've heard a little bit about but not too much because maybe people haven't been uh exposed at the at the highest levels of the game. So uh, you know, we're we're gonna use th- these these lulls in competition for the tour times to kind of uh go in that direction. And I, I think you would agree, Rob, that tonight is an example of that, no? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and anybody in the bowling world who's bowled competitive, uh, at least amateur, uh, you know, the Hoinke, uh, the High Rollers, uh, Team USA uh, knows uh, this gentleman that we're going to bring on and uh, his accomplishments as an amateur. Uh, and, you know, his uh, bracket action is, has been pretty, pretty incredible throughout his career from, from, from what I have been around and I've bowled against him. So, uh, I can't wait to talk to him and chop it up for a few minutes. All right, so let's bring him on. All right, so we welcome him on to the first time uh, to the show. Uh, Farrell, welcome, man. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, you guys. Absolutely. You know, when when we started this podcast, as Rob and I just said, you know, one of our goals was to, um, you know, go go a little bit deeper with some of the personalities in bowling that people might not be you know, all that familiar with from the, the higher levels of the game and, you know, so to speak, being on TV. But, uh, yeah, you were definitely somebody on our list, so we're excited to have you, man, and uh, and hear some of your, your stories and uh, chop it up with you a little bit. So, you know, welcome and uh, and thank you for the time, surely. Oh, man, I appreciate it. I mean, I've been listening to you guys here and there. And, you know, I remember when uh, I really started listening to you guys once the whole um, – 
uh, PBA and uh, Ryan Simonelli thing went down, and I was just like, yeah, BS, 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 BS. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So then I, I really got into the show, and I really like what you guys be doing. So, Cool, man. Uh, so first, the first thing that we wanted to talk to you about is, uh, you know, your background in bowling. So uh, we, we've done a little research for the show and, and, and read a little bit about um, you know, your, your past and your history and how you got into the game. But, you know, for our listeners and people who may not be familiar, you know, tell us about how you came up and, and how you kind of got to the point where you became a, a serious bowler. I mean, I, I was born and raised in the bowling center, uh, you know, basically in the wound. Um, grew up my entire life, uh, you know, bowled juniors from the time I could actually throw a bowling ball. Um, I used to bowl juniors every every weekend with Missy, Bellander, with Park. Uh, Rhino Page, Shannon Pulowski. I mean, uh, I grew up with all these guys, so the competition was always there. And you know, it, it, it was you wanted to be a pro when you was younger because it was something big. You know, travel the world, do what you love, and man, I just loved it. The competition was great. It taught me a lot, and I never had no no professional coaching. Everything I learned, I learned on my own by you know losing to people and going home and working on what working on. You know, it just became lucrative. I, I love the money, but also it paid for my schooling. So, you know, I got a lot of good things out of it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So where where was it that, that you had experience bowling with some of those names that you mentioned as a younger bowler? So, uh, Greater LA Junior All-Stars, which is now folded, was the longest-running junior competitive league in the country. Um, junior Amateur Tour, which is still running. Uh, that was a weekly tournament event at different houses. Um, then you look at the, you know, California uh, uh, YABA back then. Um, we we bowled every weekend, man. It was it was every weekend a different house. And you know, back then there was no such thing as a house shot. Every house had its own shot, so you had to learn how to play the uh, the entire lane. And you know, growing up, I didn't have all the 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 newest bowling balls like some of our, my colleagues did. So. You know, you had to learn to work what you had, and you know they they you earned their respect because you know at the end of the day we out there trying, but hey, they had an advantage. They had the equipment, and they had the parents who bowled on tour, and then the professional coaches. I didn't. I just had the fire of wanting to be the best, and no matter what, I wouldn't stop at working hard to get there. Mm. You know, Mike. Let me point out about Farrow. Uh, Farrow is the first person I've ever witnessed and watched bowl with. And uh, one of the Bluetooth uh, like headsets <laughs> in his ear, like while he's bowling competitively. So like, it wouldn't be like odd to see Farrell like actually on a conversation, like talking to somebody, like front nine, and he's sitting there just talking the whole time with the person on his headset. Like, and this was like back when Bluetooth was. I mean, this is before all the all the Bluetooth technology, like anything. Like, you, you just kind of laughed about it. You're like, man, Farrell striking, and if. If anybody's never seen Farrow bowl, yo, he doesn't leave anything behind. I mean, like, it is, like, it, it is you probably I, – I wish I knew your rev rate, Farrow, because, like, the rev rate – I mean, this is – you pretty much bowl one-handed, like, as a two-hander now. So, like, uh, you know, it's a pretty awesome thing to watch, uh, especially as a younger as a younger kid uh, when I would go out and watch the, the Mega Buck tournaments and then you go – Man, you got to see this Pharaoh Bowl. Like he's just gets everything on it. And I guess my question would be to you, Pharaoh, like any uh, like physical problems ever developed from all that rev rate? Like any wrist problems or anything like that? Just 
for, from due to like how much you really got on the ball? No, actually at all, because when I was taught, I was taught the basis of bowling. So I was taught to lift with my fingers. So even though my river is high, I actually don't use wrist. So uh, at one point when I was younger, I did use a little wrist, and then I started noticing if you came up to me and tapped my hand a little bit, it would go numb. So I said, okay, you know, I really learned to put the pressure and the release on the fingers. So it just made it simpler, and I made, it made my ball more controlling to where I could read the, the breakdown and read the motion and make my, my adjustments or sometimes manipulate the ball and play parts of the lane that nobody else could play. I mean, uh I don't know if you remember, I think the first time I bowled uh, the New, uh, the new uh, Year's Day tournament at Carolina, the first time I bowled, it was an out-of-bounds five to the gutter. Nobody could play out there. And be, uh, on the sweeper the day before, I bowled horrible trying to play in with, with everybody else. Man, I moved right with uh, two no mercies, one pin up, one pin down, and I literally played uh, outside of five, going like, you know, three, two, one for eight games, and then, like, the, I think it was, like, the, the middle of the eighth game, I had to jump left because everybody had already broke down the middles, and, I, and that was my first time bowling, and I won at the same time. So it has its advantages, you know, for what I do, but, you know, the way I read the lanes is so different than everybody else. And they're like, oh, he don't know what he's doing. He's just overpowering the lanes. Like, no, nah, there's a finesse to it, just like everybody else got their own, you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah, you know, I honestly, even before you said that, I was going to say, like, I, when I when I first saw you bowl, I had heard people describe you your style, and and then I I don't I forget where it was. It might have been a Carol or New Year's Day or something like that. Definitely somewhere around the East Coast. But uh, yeah, when I first saw you bowl, I, I honestly thought you know he he really doesn't strike me as somebody who has an overly powerful game or or who's trying to create so much power. What power? What, right. When I saw you bowl first, I thought what power he does create is created in a way where his motion is um, very, very movement minimal and, and very controlled were two of the things that I kind of noticed. Like you, you had like a, a shorter backswing, I would say was one of the things that I noticed. And, yep. you know, there just wasn't a lot of, um, a lot of movement with the same way that you see guys who are trying to create a lot of that rev rate, you know, they do it through creating a lot of extra movement, which, you know, kind of gets them in trouble from time to time. But, um, I- yeah, I mean, obviously, like, you know, it, powerful results, but, uh, yeah, definitely not in my mind what I was expecting. Actually, when I first saw you bowl, the first, what, what came to my mind was a guy named, uh, and he's still, he's still around, he's still bowling, uh, w- uh, William Ripley, Bill Ripley from, from Delaware. Yeah, absolutely. The USA bowler, and I, I saw him bowl, like, back in the mid-'90s for the first time in Delaware, and I was just like, oh, damn, like, he – he throws it so smooth and good and like really gets on it. And when I saw you bowl, I thought, Oh man, he, he throws it a lot. Like, uh, like Bill Ripley. I was actually surprised to hear that you weren't from that area. You know, it was, it was like, it was, I, I thought there were so many similarities between your games. I thought, Oh, he has to have some kind of background with, uh, with him. But t- speaking of team USA, let's get into that a little bit. So you, in 2006, <laughs> you, uh, you finished second in the U S amateur tournament. Yes. Absolutely, man. Great. A phenomenal tournament. That was one of the highlights of my life, man. All right. So, so tell us about it. You know, what, what was it like to finish second? You know, what, what were the circumstances? Uh, what, what, what experiences did that get you, you know, earning that, uh, that distinction of, of making Team USA? Well, you know, it was, a, it was an amazing week. Um, I practiced leading up to that week, and, 
you know, I, I didn't bowl Team USA trials for like five or six years. And because, you know, I had that role mentality of saying, you know, they're never going to pick me. They're never going to give me a chance. So finally, my father had just passed uh, a few months before. And he always wanted me to make the team. And, and it was one of his, his dreams. So he passed. We buried him. And then the, uh, Team USA come up at last minute. I, I go bowl. And I was just focused. I said, I'm going to make this team. I'm going to make them you know, showcase me. I'm going to make them help me because I always heard the good news about being on Team USA. So I get out there. I, I bowl amazing. Um, I made the right adjustments. Like everything aligned that day. I, I, I was, and when it came down to it, uh, I can't. Th- I can't remember the guy I was bowling, but it comes down to the the final match is him. I literally, I got. I think I went front eight. I go light and I leave the four eight. Um, and I, I haven't missed no spares all day. I literally, I think I chopped the four off the eight. He, he strikes out. He goes 250. No, he goes 263. So I need to sh- double on the 10th to beat him. I flush the first one and the next one, uh, I get a little bit soft at the bottom with it and I go, uh, I think it was a flat seven. I think it was. And I, so I lose it, but it was still an amazing thing because, you know, being the style that I had, they, I knew they didn't want me. You know, uh, they, they had their favoritism back then, and uh, it was just I had to do it. And when I made it, man, it felt so good because, like, now you can't tell me I'm not good enough. And that was the first year they gave the two-year exemption, so they gave me the two-year exemption. But then also the started – that was the first year they said going into the position round. Yeah, going into the position round, I was, I was, I think he was a few pairs ahead of me. If you win the amateur title, it doesn't automatically give you a bid for the World Cup because that was the World Cup year, and that was kind of like BS to me. But it, whatever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was great, man. That was probably uh, probably the. Probably the second highlight of my career that was making that team. And uh, what would be the first? The first, I would say, you wouldn't believe it, winning the Hoinky as a scratch bowler at the amount okay. that I won. Um, I won 2008. I won the Hoinky. It was a $65,000 check. I won the handicap single shooting 1120 something. You know, second in all events, the eight gamer. I mean, I just ran them over. And even though it's a handicapped tournament, but as Rob would know, the Hoinky never put out a house shot. It's some concoction they put out there, man. And you gotta, you gotta line up, you know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that that was probably my number one. And then Team USA is two, and then I'll probably put uh, winning the Bowlers Journal is three. Um, you know what? No, drop all of them down one. Number one in my life, I would say, is leading the U.S. Open for two days. That was an amazing feat right wow. there. Cause, wow. Because Rob, people, does that tell you, you wouldn't believe. Is or what? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many people have never respected me and always said, oh, you overpower the land. You, all you do is hook the ball. You know, it's kind of like we, even when the PBA show was at the, my, the center that I was running, Shawnee Lanes, and you hear um, – uh, what's the uh, Rand Peterson when they show me on the screen? He's like, yeah, he's a good bowler in his own right. I was like, what the hell does that mean? You know, it's like it's like I've never accomplished that. Like I've never done them. Like, you know, people get mad and I say, hey, 
you know, there's a lot of people bowlers out here that haven't accomplished half of the stuff I've done. And these four tournaments, not even all the stuff that I have won. And it's just like, well, why am I just some guy that just never made it? Why am I some guy that, oh, he's just won a few. He's like, no, no, there's a lot of tournaments that I've won. But it's just the years that I've won it, I didn't get no recognition. And then the next year, oh, hey, this person won this tournament. Like, yeah, okay, that's what it is, you know. <laughs> so uh, you brought up so many things that give me – there's so many different directions. <laughs> um, so – let, let's let's talk about this, right? Uh, right? You you brought up, you know, you put the you put leading the U.S. Open for two days at the top of, you know, your career accomplishments. I mean that. So you've won two. Let's be clear, right? You just told us you won two amateur majors, basically, in the Hoinky and New Year's Day at Carolier, right? So everybody right. who really bowls at a high level considers both of those to be like amongst the biggest amateur tournaments. So we'll chalk we'll we'll chalk those up as as amateur majors. And you put leading the U.S. Open, which I think you finished like 22nd for the week in that tournament, right? Yes, yes, sir. Okay, so you put that as number one as your as your career accomplishment. So let's talk about this for a minute, because you're a guy okay. who who owns the record for the most 800s and 300s in one league season, right? I did, I did, not anymore. Okay, all right, and and you know your your numbers of honor scores are just you know stupid, right? Like they're just through the roof, so. Okay. Yes, sir. But you also have a lot of experience bowling at the highest levels, like the U.S. Open, like the USBC Masters, you know, like mm-hmm. some of the tougher uh, amateur tournaments. So, you know, you're somebody that clearly has the respect of the, you know, um, amateur bowler who is more conditioned to the easier conditions. But you also are somebody who's very well known and very respected amongst the people who tend to bowl, you know, at the amateur level that has the tougher conditions. So, you know, talk to us about how hard of an of an adjustment that is for for a bowler going from you know bowling on mainly one to trying to break through to the other, or you know, talk about how the you know leading the U.S. Open for two days is your top accomplishment. I mean, the lane conditions have to have something to do with that. Yeah, I mean, the lane conditions are tough, but like I, you know, like I said, I've always was wanted to be the best. And to be, to be the best, you have to get in and, and fight with the best. Um, learning your, knowing your game is, is, is number two. I, w- I was bowling, what, seven leagues a week, tournaments on the weekend, so I was, I was bowling for a living. So my game was sharp. So when I was bowling the Masters, the Open, the, some of the, the, the bigger PBA events, I was on top of my game. I knew the adjustments. And then for a bowler to come out from just bowling house shot leagues to bowling competitive events, you know, it's a, it's a game changer. You have to learn, one, you have to know your game. Two, you have to know your equipment. Three, you have to learn how to read ball motion and know the difference in layouts and, and shells and cores. You know, if you don't learn that stuff, that's why a lot of these bowlers that go from house to sport pattern, you know, they don't never get it and they give up because they didn't even they never learned the fundamentals of the game. And that's what the part that uh, even some of the younger generations still don't understand. They just change surface or it changed balls and change surface because the game now is about having the right surface shell combination in your hand rather than having the right ball, truly ball in your hand. And that's the that's more the era that you know we grew up in, but uh, I mean it was just 
it was just everything was clicking. I mean, I was I was I just came from matter of fact the year I let the U.S. Open. I just came from uh, the TNBA uh, Bacardi Singles Classic in Cleveland. You know, the big one in February that usually everybody go to. Uh, that's a bracket story for you. I just you know I just cleared them for thirty thousand cash, and, I, and so I I left there went straight to the Open. Missed practice on Monday because I didn't get there till Monday night. And and like a first set, I go I average two what two fifty eight or two fifty two. The first day, and then I averaged 220 the second day. Then the third day, I, 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 I went minus. And then the next day, I come back in, I, I, I averaged 210 in, in the, right before match play. So it was like everything was together. I was, I'm, I was so confident in my game. It was like nobody could stop me but me. Yeah, it's always nice to, uh, to be in that kind of zone where, where you just know that you're, uh, you're throwing it really well for sure. But uh, yeah, it's just just an interesting you know per- perspective to to hear about from somebody who's had a lot of success at uh, you know at both sides of the game. Um, so is it is it a fair question to to ask you why you haven't experienced a lot of success at, at the highest level of the PBA? Yeah, uh, I can tell you exactly what it is. Uh, one, you know, as hard as I worked, you know, I ca- I think I came in at the wrong era. The PBA pretty much folded. There was nothing out there. You got to get out there to win. You got to get out there. You got to relearn the game the way they play it. And mm-hmm. I chose not to go out there because those guys, they was filing bankruptcy, losing their homes. It was like the money was in the amateur, the amateur market. So it was like, hey, you know what? Let me go ahead and stay amateur. And then when I thought about going out there, it was just kind of too late. Um, you know, no, you know, you look at some of these kids out here that have sponsors. And I never, I never could get one of those. You know what I'm saying? Somebody say, hey, Fred, I want to put you on tour. I'll give you two or three years to do it. They never gave me that, that option. It was always somebody who wanted to nickel and dime you and say, okay, we, we'll do uh, so many tournaments. And after that, if it doesn't work, we'll chop it off. Like, no, you, you got to be able to go out there. If you're going to go in, you got to jump in. And um, at the end of the day, it just wasn't smart to go on tour. Now, now where the tour is going, I'm actually on the fence. I really want to go out there. But now, you know, I just don't have the resources like I did. I bought a house, you know, married now. I I have the support for my wife to go, but I've invested in my life. You know, a lot of that money I made, I invested to where I can live comfortably now, to where I I don't see myself taking money out to go on tour. It's it's still not life-changing money, you know? Yeah, Rob, you want to follow up from that? I mean, it sounds like my story a little bit. Like, <laughs> you know, you just, you just, you want to do it, and it's always in the back of your mind, and, and, and there's always that temptation, you know, to to try to accomplish that dream, right? Everybody has that dream, at least as an amateur, a successful amateur bowler, to go out and win a, a tournament on uh, on TV and and win a major and. The era that we grew up bowling, it just didn't make financial like sense. It, it just the the era was a tough era. It was exactly what Pharaoh said. Like you had to jump all in. You you had to literally um, sacrifice maybe even years of financial like stability and uh, just not knowing if, if if you were gonna have a paycheck for you know the years that you were out there. Uh, and I just kind of feel like, yeah, like it, there was a lot of uncertainty also, uh, being on tour every, every year 
it was like, oh, is the PBA even going to be around anymore? Like every year, everyone was always asking that question. And you don't want to like put your life on the line like that, especially if you have other financial like responsibilities. Absolutely. Yeah, and, uh, I think, I think, you know, what he said about, uh, it, it take you, there's a learning curve out there, right? And if you can't sustain yourself financially while going through that learning curve and, and, and kind of taking your lumps and bruises while you figure things out, uh, yeah, that makes things a lot tougher and a lot harder, you know, obviously, um, you know, having support, like you said, makes it easier, but yeah, that's, it's just something that's tough to do. You know, and, and just to, you know, add a little extra to it, what hurt me the most about it was when I came out and I was, you know, hitting the amateur circuit hard, you know, first thing, you know, the, the ball companies, you know, so the, the jealousy part of me nowadays, and I'm sorry, I'm going to be a little kid at this point. The jealousy part of me nowadays is there's a lot of guys that are out there on tour right now that are actually getting paid a stipend to be on tour that ain't never won a title and never won a big amateur event. You know, they, they, they haven't done nothing. Like I know Rob, I know what Rob has accomplished. And I'm looking at some of these guys now that haven't accomplished nothing. Can't even carry my bowling balls to the car, but they're getting paid. And then, you know, companies say, Oh, we're not paying nobody. You got to win a title to get paid. That's a lie. Don't let them lie to you, man. It, it, it's all about they want to pay who they want to market. Because I've been trying to, you know, I always hear, we want to market you, we want to do this, we want to do that. And when it comes down to it, all I hear is chirp, chirp, chirp. When I say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm ready. I mean, I think I'm going to take your step on tour. What can we talk about? Okay, Pharaoh, as soon as you get, you get your car, we'll talk about a, sty, a stipend. Uh, okay. Then as soon as I'm like, all right, I'm getting ready to get my car. Okay, Pharaoh, all right, as soon as you uh, win a title, we'll talk about a stipend. It's like every time I'm, I get ready to make that choice, it's like, oh, no, Pharaoh, it's another level you got to get to. They don't know. It's another level to get to. And that's what really deterred me from going pro. It's like, why can't I get a little bit of help? You know what I'm saying? You, you, you use me as an amateur bowler. Oh, Pharaoh, this is good. Oh, Pharaoh, we're behind you. And then when I'm saying I'm ready to make this next step, oh, we can't help you. But we can help this guy who, has it, who just bowled at Wichita or bowled at this college. You know what I'm saying? Uh, well, uh, yeah, I do. And I, I think that at times, because those, those spots are somewhat limited, right. In the bowling community, I mean, there, there's a lot of people that get free equipment, et cetera. Like we're, let's, let's be clear. We're talking about people who get paid to bowl for a living. You know, that's, that's kind of what you're referring to. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, it, like I say, it, there's all going to be people that fall through the cracks. But you know, yeah, it's no, just no, no question because those those spots are very limited, right? I mean, you know, there, there's a lot of guys out there who, if they didn't have that, there's no way they would be out there. And there's other guys like you're referring to who, if they did have that kind of support, would absolutely be out there. Um, you know, I think I think it has a lot to do with the financial position that the game's in in general, and the fact that these companies are only willing to invest so much. But, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I, obviously, there, there's people that fall through the cracks, you know. Uh, how, how people end up in that position is, is far from an exact science in, in, in the bowling community. But, uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Go ahead. No, that was my little rant. That's all. <laughs> no, I got you. 
So, so let's talk. Let's talk bowling balls for a minute, right? Because the big news in the bowling community over the last week or so um, has been Brunswick's uh, acquisition of the uh, Ebonite brand. Uh, we know that you know you you were either throwing Ebonite equipment currently or were associated with them at one time. Yes. Yes, sir. Okay. So thoughts thoughts on that deal. Thoughts on um, what, what, what it I does think is. Community. I mean. We're just talking about sponsorships, et cetera. Now, twenty-five percent of the companies that could have offered somebody a sponsorship or a deal and put them out on tour is now gone. So, you know, Correct. that that truly relates to the conversation we were just having. But take it in whatever direction you want. I think the deal is going to help Bowling in one direction; is going to hurt it in another. I think the consolidation of the bowling community is fine because. Bowling is like a nucleus. It's been feeding on itself for years, and eventually it's going to feed on itself until there's nothing left. We have no outside money fueling the sport. That's the issue we've been running into for a long time. Everything in bowling comes from bowling. The USBC, the league, the tournament, the bowlers, it all, all, the, turn, I mean, all the companies in bowling feed bowling. We have no outside help. And what Brunswick, the investors of Brunswick did, to me, it's more of, it's not, it's also the technology. Let's be honest, Brunswick, the high-end shells are not good. It's just not good. I'm sorry. But, couple that, we take that with the Ebonite stuff. I think it's more of market share. Ebonite has a market share that Brunswick would probably never get to in the next decade or two. So, you eliminate them by getting their technology Having their their market share now, you're right there. The storm is number one. I think everybody was really number two with market share of the higher end stuff, and that's where you, that's where you're at with that whole deal. I think that is what it is, because at the end of the day, it's all about making money. And I really think Brunswick was doing is doing great, but it still didn't have the market share. Hey, yeah, Sarah, I, I, I kind of said the same thing. Uh, when, yeah. when we talked about it earlier that, uh, you know, if, if they weren't selling enough balls to justify having a plant and building that plant several years ago, then, you know, what's the sense? Like, so they acquire the Ebonite brand because they know that anything that they stamp Ebonite on is more likely to sell. They can produce more balls, et cetera. Um, yeah. You know, I- I- interesting thoughts for sure. Rob, anything you want to add there? Yeah, I guess my question would be just kind of a quick a quick shot at a question was, uh, do you has Ebonite and now you don't have to answer this if you don't if you don't want to, but has Ebonite reached out or, or Brunswick reached out? Do you know as a as a staffer where are you currently at? I mean, are are you still technically as of now? Do you have to still throw their Ebonite like equipment or whatever brand you were under, or is it just kind of like you have no idea what's going on, just waiting for word? Well, the problem is I haven't been with Ebonite since August. So I, the, the deal doesn't affect me. I've been with Motive since late August. Oh. So, yeah, I left Ebonite, you know, in, in August out of respect. I never had, I don't have nothing bad to say about the company. They've always treated me well. It was just a respect issue that we couldn't come together on, and I just, just decided, I decided to part ways. Got it. But, um, well, no, uh, yeah, I, I, the whole thing is confusing because, matter of fact, 
my wife uh, is, is Columbia staff. And when this whole deal went down, um, well, we've been talking about it for the last couple of days because she's in a bad situation uh, because she had an issue. She was on staff with them. So she's kind of on the fence of what she wanted to do. So, yeah, I, I, I feel full of the staffers because you don't know what's really going on. I, I think Brunswick, if, if they reached out to their staffers already, that's good. If they haven't, they're leaving their people in limbo. I don't know if any letters that went out, email, you know, to the chats or whatever, but hopefully they take care of staffers. I, I figure maybe most of the staffers going to be let go or a certain percentage will be let go by the time uh, contract time coming into April. But um, hopefully they, they've always reached out to the staffers and say, hey, this is the way we're going. You're still on staff. Because, you know, for this to happen and then all of a sudden you don't know if you're really on staff, you're stuck in limbo for a week or two, that's not fair. Just like the, the employees, I mean, to come in and shut it down and, you know, it's, it's, it's hurt. That's hurtful, you know, and, and that's a bad press for Brunswick. But at the end of the day, you know, I think that they a letter from their president came out a, a couple of days too late. Like as soon as the news broke, and they know it broke, you know, sitting back to my, when we watching and seeing what's going on social media, no, if you would have came out maybe – a few hours later, say, hey, you know, da 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 da. It probably would have took a lot of heat away from the the Brunswick and the investors. Yeah, yeah, well said. Uh, so let's let's talk a little. Uh, let's talk a little action. Let's talk a little mega back story. Right. You know, what, <laughs> uh, we we always like to get into the action. We like to get into the mega buck stories. You know, you said that you won the hoinky uh, uh, when we first started this podcast a few episodes in we brought on the uh the legendary joe stillman and had him tell the uh 710 story from the hoinky so you know when you come on sweep the rack if you're going to talk action stories and mega buck stories you got to bring something really good to the table because we all we we deal with the greatest stories of of all around here so uh what do you got for us man you know bracket stories man. anything you want go in any direction you want i'd say the best bracket story I ever had, man, was uh, the, the the Bacardi right before um, uh, the U.S. Open when I led it. I mean, it was, it was probably my best day in bracket. So uh, the tournament, you know, has been always on a house shot, and then a new director came and took over, and he said he wanted to make the tournament more prestige and more respectful, you know, to the, the rest of the bowling community. So, you know, I told him, I said, look, if you want to make the shot a little tougher, that's fine. You know, just modify the house shot, but don't make it tough because it's TNBA. You know, we know a lot of them are just house bowlers, okay? Marty, his, 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 his view was so strong. So he went from the, the house shot to the U.S. open pattern. <laughs> so I, I, I show up in there, and you know me. You know, you, you know me, Rob. I, I get in a, a few brackets, nothing major, but I get in a few, right? Yeah, so I walk, I walk in, and this guy out of Chicago, um, I think it's uh, Mark, Marco, Mark, I can't think his name right now. Anyway, so he's, he goes the first shift. He goes like 800 the first three, and then he goes like 252 team. I'm like, dang, he's striking. Oh, man. I'm looking at everybody else. Who... So I'm watching. I'm like, you know what? It looked kind of tough. Okay. So. In practice, I, I, you know, I'm, you know, you get ten minutes. I'm throwing it around, striking every direction. So I walk up there, and you know, uh, Balkowski was like, "Man, you got a good look." I was like, "Yeah." 
It's like, well, what you want to do? I was like, well, you know, you said I don't get in a few. He was like, you got the best look in the house. I said, well, we all in. <laughs> he said, you and so they loaded me up. We went all in. It was ten dollar brackets. Probably was like, I think it was at least about, I don't know, a thousand or fifteen hundred brackets and by and, and Stillman went all in. And I went what? I went seventy nine, fifty nine, sixty nine. And mind you. I didn't shoot my first 190 game until Sunday morning, so I loaded up in brackets, and we literally walked out of there with probably like, you know, so after after the split, it was probably like thirty some thousand dollars. And 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 you know, by Kelsey, he got that damn uh, that uh, that uh, fanny pack carrying around like his life depended on it. <laughs> uh. On Sunday, mind you, now it's the to me it's the U.S. Open, so I'm in heaven because I it's only one shot play in and fall, fall back. So on Sunday morning, because, you know, I want to win this tournament. It's very prestige. I get in no brackets, man, because I'm like, I want to focus on Sunday. Good thing I didn't because I, I only went like 210, 220 across the board, and Adam Barter ran them over. But the whole tournament was like, oh, TNBA cheating. Farrell didn't get in today. So yesterday they put him in everything, and then today they didn't want to put him in. Oh, my God, you should have heard the stories. I'm like, nah, it was me. I made the, I made the choice. But yeah, that was that was probably the the best one ever. Cause I mean, they put the U.S. Open shot, and this this last year it was wide open house shot, bro. I'm like, oh my god, he gonna kill this target, but he sat my pockets up though. <laughs> Mike, let me. I got two points to that story. One thirty oh thirty grand in brackets is fucking ridiculous. Like that's I'm just gonna go out and say that. The second is I wondered how long it would take this podcast. And how many episodes and years we were doing this podcast until the name Dave Bukowski came up on this podcast. And it finally came up. After I was thinking the same thing when he said it. Yeah. I was, I'm surprised it's taken this long. If he's yeah, listening, what's, anybody, up, what's up, Dave? Uh, if anybody's listening, Dave Bukowski uh, is, I, I can't even explain it. Mike, we, I, probably, I know you he's probably had him on table somewhere complaining yeah. about some shit. So uh, he was <laughs> <Dave, as well. laughs> Yeah, so maybe one day in the future we'll have to bring him, uh, bring him on it and talk some some degenerate stories because I know he's probably oh, got a million. We should definitely stories. bring him on. Absolutely, we should definitely bring him on if he's uh, if he's willing to do it. Uh, but yeah, great great story. You know, obviously uh, a lot of action stories out there. So we we love hearing them, and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll have you back on some other time and and uh, we'll get some more stories from you, but. Uh, Farrow, you mentioned you're with Motive, man. Uh, before we get you out of here, anybody else that you want to plug? Uh, anybody else supporting your career out there? Oh, yeah. Vice, as always. Uh, uh, Relax, Release, Repeat is my apparel company. You know, Fear the King, as always. That's me. Fear, Fear the Queen is my wife. I mean, it means the Bowling community is great, man. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, I appreciate you guys. I mean, love y'all. And, Keep up the good podcast because, man, y'all, y'all be having me dying every week, man. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. And uh, thank you again for giving us the time and coming on. And uh, we'll reach out in the new, near future, man, and uh, have you back. So uh, safe travels and uh, good bowling. Good luck out there. And we'll, we'll be following you, man. Thanks, Tyler. Thank you, sir. Y'all have a good one, man. All right. All right. So, Rob, uh, you know, hearing from one of the the uh, another you know legendary uh amateur bowler you know I, we we've had a few on uh in the past so just another example here yeah mike those are my favorite interviews i i mean 
and we, we say it over and over again. And it's one of the reasons why we started the podcast, you know, like it's cool to, to like interview some of the top pros and, and we do that a lot. Uh, but my, my, my favorite interviews are when we interviews guys like Farrah Williams and Joe Stillman. And, uh, you know, we might have to look into getting Dave Bukowski, even Alex Cavagnaro, uh, just guys like that, that I, I know have a, a ton of action stories that not a lot of people know about. Uh, you know, it's easy to talk about like U.S. Open tel- televised shows and and just stuff that everybody knows about. But the fun stories are the ones that nobody knows about. And 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 I think Farrow's interview was a great one. Yeah, no question. Uh, very very interesting interview. You know, I, I thought I thought he spoke very openly and honestly. And uh, you know, I think um, you know had, had some really interesting things to say and some interesting points to make there. So. Uh, I hope, I think people enjoy that. And, um, yeah, I agree with you. I think that, you know, bringing on people who are a little bit, who are known, you know, for sure, but, you know, who are a little bit outside the, the top rung of, of professional bowling, you know, uh, definitely creates a little bit of a, a different interview in a different environment. I, I enjoy that too. So, uh, Rob, before we wrap it up, we got a few, uh, you know, newsworthy things that, uh, that we want to talk about here. So I guess the first thing that we should discuss is the, the PBA season officially wrapped up in, in China over the last week or so when, uh, when we were uh, off the air since our last episode. So uh, it wrapped up in China. I think there were only 16 bowlers, I believe, and the qualifying was three games. It was then a best of three bracket. Uh, from there, and Sean Rash emerges victorious, Rob, over A.J. Johnson. I believe mm. the next two competitors were, were both from the Asian contingent of bowlers, third place and fourth place. But, uh, Rob, part of the thing that I noticed is that there was very little info about this tournament out there. So, you know, I dug into our sources, Rob, as, okay. as I always do, and I found out that the reason for that was because the bowlers were asked not to – broadcast much on social media about the event because apparently it was being recorded there and might possibly be aired in some form whether that's through some kind of online bowling uh entity or uh on tv in some way so that's why there wasn't a lot of information out there about it that that's why things were uh kind of kept mum i guess you could say i actually tweeted about it about why there wasn't uh, so much talk. And, uh, Rob, I have to say, uh, the, the streets were talking a little bit, and I'm not going to get too deep into it, but uh, from what I'm hearing, you know, there were some shenanigans in China uh, with, um, you know, per- perhaps people manipulating the bracket uh, in some way or in whatever way they could to assure themselves uh, the, the best draw i guess you could say so um you know interesting to hear that uh i'm sure you know uh some people may be unaware of what i'm referring to but you know uh to some degree i guess i can understand you know you always want to give yourself the best chance but i'm not sure that you know doing that openly you know is always the best course of action there but, uh, yeah, Rash comes out with the win there over A.J. Johnson. And, Rob, the, the PBA season kind of officially wraps up at that point. Wait, so 
I have a couple of questions and these are not questions that I already know. These are actually questions I have no idea. And maybe uh, you have that information. Uh, so you said, and I'm going to kind of magnify this point. You said there were how many entries at this PBA tournament? I think there were only 16 players involved. And correct me if I'm wrong. Sean Rash won a title in this event. That was a, it was a PBA title. I, I'm not sure. I don't, I'm not 100% sure about that. Okay. Well, you know where I'm going with this. So, uh, oh, yeah, I know. I'm not going to like beat a dead horse because everybody knows where I'm going with this. Uh, I want to focus on one thing and how great of a season Sean Rash has had. I mean, this might be the best season he's had in, in over 10 years. Like, he has been. I mean, top five, almost every tournament, it feels like. Uh, and so props to Sean Rash, man. Really, really hard, I would guess, at someone at, at his age. And I'm thinking, you know, getting in the older, you know, starting to push 40 and 38, 39, who, all of a sudden you're married now. You have, you know, two, two, two daughters. And it's so easy to, to, to not be focused, like to just lose focus because you have so much other stuff going on. And the same thing with Bill, right? Like, same thing. He's got, you know, two kids, and he's kind of getting to that where it's like, but Sean's still going to China, man, still grinding, dude. I love it. I love the fact that uh, he's still hungry, and he's still motivated, and he's bowling the best he's, like, ever bowled uh, in, in a really long time. So props to Sean Rash. Yeah, well, this was this was a special event where these guys qualified through their uh, earning of points in the summer swing events. So, and then I think the Asian contingent, they qualified it through a different way. So yeah, it was a, it was a special event. So that explains why there's 16 people, but um, you know, and, and why some of these guys went out there. I mean, Bill went too. he went to China and bowled five games. So, you know, that's, that's, I think we sat out JBTs that were too far away because uh, we only bowled five games of qualifying, but he went to China to bowl uh, five games yeah. qualifying. So shake that off. But yeah. um yeah, you know, uh, interesting event, you know, chance for those guys to go. I think they were bowling for 25,000. You know, Bill mentioned on Twitter that he lost in the first round. I think he got 3,000. So, you know, still a decent paycheck for those guys. So that's always good to see. Uh, speaking of paychecks, Rob. Yes. Big announcement. Big announcement that actually took place uh, before our last episode aired. But we were kind of focusing on the U.S. Open in that last episode. So, uh we didn't really get to it, so we definitely wanted to get to it tonight. Uh, Bolero is is, is kind of upping the money that, that these guys are going to be bowling for on Tourlet next year, Rob. So I don't have the details in front of me in open, but I believe four tournaments are going to be worth 100000 and one tournament is going to be worth 70000 and the cashing ratio is also going to increase from 4 to 1 to 3 to 1, mm. if I'm, I'm correct. So thoughts, Rob? I mean, how could you not – like it you know how we talk podcasts ago about like let's wait and see what they do uh this is a good first step right like this is a major first step it's a big first step we all know that money doesn't solve everything but it solves a lot of like the pba's issues uh and i think money brings competition competition brings rivalries hopefully that equates into good television uh, so that's kind of where my, my concern is, is the money that they're offering. Is it going to turn into 
better entertaining shows, which then in returns brings more sponsors and then in returns brings more money, which then brings better television. It's like this vicious cycle. So it's a great first step. I love it. I'm hoping that it, it, it turns into and equivalates to uh, uh, bigger money means better shows, more entertaining shows. So a couple thoughts. Um, obviously, I think Bolero deserves some props for you know upping the prize fund in you know some of these tournaments and getting these guys bowling for more serious money on, on a more regular basis. Um, I also, you know, obviously like the, the cash ratio. I think that when you take a look at the breakdown of some of the prize funds or from what I've seen so far, you know, maybe like it's, it's a little bit tough to look at it from a positive perspective for some people because some of the lower high finishing spots, like fifth or sixth, like those prizes may have actually gone down from what they were before, but they're paying more spots as well. So I think that that's somewhat of a sacrifice that that needs to be made at this time so that you can kind of build the lower ranks and have more guys out there getting checks and, and, you know, earning a better living out there. Um, I don't know, Rob. I have two kind of negative thoughts here about it. Number one, you know, Bolero put on an event, the first Bolero Elite Series, where they gave away like 280 grand or something, 250,000 for first right, in that first Bolero Elite Series. And, I mean, you know, that's a lot of money. That's a lot of dough. I, I would love to see P- one at least one PBA tournament be worth 250000 which I believe is the highest prize ever given out for a PBA tournament as well. You know, so I, to me, I kind of felt like that was a good standard to, to try and meet, whether it be the highest prize the PBA has get, ever given out or, uh, you know, something along the lines of, of that, uh, Bolero, that first Bolero Elite Series, and again, I'm not, I'm not knocking them for making the the prizes a hundred thousand. You know, again, kudos to them. I think it's a great first step. You know, they deserve credit. They they deserve a little, you know, more support. You know, based on 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 that action. Um, but yeah, I'd also Rob like I think about would it be better to have one tournament for four hundred or five hundred thousand? Hmm. Or two tournaments for. Two hundred fifty thousand, right? Instead of paying yeah, I mean, more, five hundred thousand. Five hundred thousand is a good amount of money. Like, what? What would that do to have guys bowling for for that kind of money? You know, would that would that move the needle at all? I don't know. I mean, these, these yeah. are just the things that I ask. So, you know, well, shout to them. Though, you know, they're 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 obviously moving in the right direction, as you said. And uh, you know, they they picked they picked our guy Dougie. For, for the Bolero Elite Series. So, they, you know, they, I think they definitely made a, a very smart move there. So what they're doing so far looks pretty good. Um, you know, but, yeah, I, I would love to see these guys bowling for even even more serious money, even if it's just uh, on, on one occasion th- throughout the, the season, even like a culminating event. Um, so, yeah, but, but it seems like we're moving in that direction. Let's hope that they get a return on, on the investment that they're making uh, in the highest level of bowling and that they can continue to kind of grow things and, and get these guys bowling for these amounts of money a little bit um, more often. Well, so, Mike, Rob, last thing. Go, go well, ahead. Go ahead. Well, point, last point. Uh, and I put this on Facebook. Uh, actually, when I commented on I believe it was the Flow Bowling when they announced it. How much pressure does this put on the USBC to up their money for the majors? I mean, dude, like I – mean, 
Yeah. I mean, you can't pay $50,000 for whatever tournament they do it for. I, and I have to look up at what tournaments they're, they're up in the ante. The Masters, the Masters for the U.S. Open was 30. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking like the PBA, right? Four tournaments, they're, they're upping the money. But the majors, you can't, you can't sit the majors at, at a less price fund. I mean, the majors have to be the culmination of, of where they pay the most money. I mean, no. Yeah, but clearly it's not it's not going in that direction. Clearly the direction it's going in is that the PBA is going to have these events that are worth the money, and the USB the USBC has the two events that are probably worth the most prestige. You know, so yeah, it's a it's it's a tough situation for for bowling in general to be. And I found it really interesting when Farrow said that you know bowling only relies on itself and feeds itself, and that's going to keep going on until there's nothing left and. You know, I think about that. You know, could could that mean a future of the PBA taking on the USBC just to get those um, those those titles? You know, those tournaments that they can then mold in their own way. But uh, interesting, interesting to talk about for sure. Interesting to think about for the for the future. So, Rob, last thing we wanted to talk about is we just wanted to touch again on the uh, the Ebonite and Brunswick talk. You know, this is a, a seismic piece of news in the bowling community so we we did the emergency pod on it um you know in between you know after the u.s open coverage that we did uh we jumped on and just wanted to discuss that in, in an episode you know obviously we've had some time to digest it more information has come out etc so i guess the the two things or three things that that i want to throw out there that i've thought about since we we had that last episode you know one is uh if if I'm a professional bowler and I'm throwing Ebonite equipment of any brand, you know, the main thing, Rob, that I need to know, I don't know if you'll agree with this or not, but the main thing that I need to know is uh, are the balls going to be made the same way? You know, are they going to be made with the same chemicals in the covers? Are they going to be made using the same types of materials and process so that they can be sure that the product that they're getting is as close to, the product they were using before as opposed to something new being produced by Brunswick using their own methods and, you know, so, so to speak ingredients, I guess you could say, uh, what are your thoughts on that? Do you, do you think, if, if, do you think that's a, that should be a major concern or do you think that's concern? Number one, I think it's a concern if you're on Ebonite for brand staff, if you're a pro, uh, yeah. Um, even an amateur who maybe has a lot of supplemental income coming in from, uh, you know, throwing their equipment. Uh, I think guys on the top tier, the PBA guys like a Tommy Jones, a Bill O'Neill, you know, those type of guys. I think that's a big concern uh, just because it's a whole new ball. You have to get adjusted to who's going to be the tour reps. Uh, you know, these guys have been working with the same tour reps for years uh, for, you know, for the amateurs. Uh, you know what? The amateurs, it, it, they don't really, it doesn't really matter to the amateurs. They're going to find a way to, uh, it's, it's, it's not their living. They're an amateur. The pros, though, yes, uh, it's a major concern. Uh, and I, I, look, these guys are the best in the world. I think whatever they throw, and you've said it on previous shows, these guys are the best in the world. Tommy Jones, Bill O'Neill, these guys are going to find a way to strike with whatever equipment they're throwing. I just think it's the 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 the, the first initial like six months or even year or two adjustment 
Uh, look, look at a guy like AJ Johnson, who now finally had, got an adjustment to EBI and was having like a great season. I mean, when, once he got adjusted, when he first started with the equipment, he wasn't doing anything. He was having, he was, he was struggling and he got adjusted. Now he's going to have to do more adjusting if, if they're making it in the Brunswick, but it's not going to be the same regardless. Mike, regardless of the, the chemicals, the cores, the whatever they bring over from there, it's going to be different. Um, the designers of the bowling balls aren't going to be the same people. It's going to be made. They're going to be made in a completely different plant. Uh, so it doesn't really matter like what they do. It's going to be. They're going to be different bowling balls. Uh, so we. That's a whole nother wait and see on, on what happens with the actual equipment. Interesting. Yeah. Another thing that I thought about is the timing here. You know, uh, the tour is kind of on a break, but they start up in early January. So there's about, you know, a, a month and a half, I guess you could say, between now and the beginning of the next tour season. And, and Rob, that's not a lot of time. You know, no. if you're somebody who is kind of dependent upon what's going on in this situation, um, you know, you, you need time to arrange things. You know, you need time to make decisions. You need time to... Sure drill equipment and, you know, kind of get as used to it as you can. So there, there's a lot of time factors going on here. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if the, the closer we get to that, you know, December, you know, we're a month out from the tour season starting, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see uh, a flurry of activity, you know, around that time, you know, with guys maybe making their moves or making their decisions about what they're going to do in terms of their, their equipment and what equipment they're going to throw, so just, yeah, I think uh, I think people are on the clock, Rob. Yeah, it's just I mean, if you're an example like well, I'm gonna use Tommy Jones, I I really hope you've stashed a whole bunch of bowling balls in your garage, because if I'm Tommy, I'm gonna just stick with the the stuff that I've been throwing this year until I figure out like what the new stuff and what the new balls are, even if there are new balls or what that whole thing looks like. So I'd imagine that a lot of the pros are just going to stick with like the balls that were released this year and that they're used to until they figure out what the hell's going on, like with the new stuff and, and a lot of the uncertainty. Yeah, well, I heard that there were 70,000 unsold balls in the Evanite warehouse. So, I mean, if there were that many balls, you would imagine that there's enough balls to keep you know people like Tommy and Bill going until – the end of their career, I would imagine, if there's that many. So you're right. I would be stocking up on them. Rob, I have one more question for you in terms of this this ball issue, right? Because one of the things that came out uh, in in this um, report about the deal is that, you know, but it, it was reported that both of these factories were operating at like less than half capacity, right? So that means that neither company was really selling all that many balls or producing as, as many balls as they, they could. Um you know, here's my thought, and I know this is a little bit uh, outside the box or maybe a little bit of a stretch, but I really do feel strongly about this issue as, as I've voiced my opinion a few times on the podcast previously. But um, do you think that the fact that so many people today get quote-unquote staff contracts or get free balls, do you think that has anything to do with the shrinking number of people who are actually buying bowling balls? No, I don't. I mean, I feel like maybe there was maybe too many, uh, a little bit too many. 
Uh, I feel like what was their downfall, and it, I don't think that really moves the needle with all the uh, the staff people. That I think it's just a a, a little drop in a, in a in a bigger bucket. To me, and and here's what was concerning as you were talking about the plants being half staffed and not being able to to you know to to do a lot of things. Dude, their best balls were on back order for months. That's what kills me. Is a purple hammer is a good a good example. It, it, it took months to be able to get a purple hammer. Like you couldn't even like go to some like the pink widow was another ball. Like it took months before you can get one. Like I I mean I remember putting an order and it took months. And you're telling me that why why are you guys focused on making so many bowling balls that aren't selling and, and back ordered on the bowling balls that uh, that are selling? Um. And to me, that was their downfall. Like they just were spread out too much. There was too many brands, and I don't really feel like like you're pulling your question. Really, it had. I don't think so. I mean, I don't know for a fact because obviously I wouldn't work there, and I didn't know the numbers and the staff balls and what they did. But I kind of feel like it was more just the fact that it was just too many brands, and they were just releasing too many balls, and you seventy thousand bowling balls in the in the warehouse, but. Your, your purple hammer and your black and your pink widow are on back order for for three months or two months, like doesn't I don't know I just kind of feel like it, it's just something that maybe maybe they should have made more balls of the ones they sold <laughs> I guess right yeah, but perhaps. what do I know, right yeah true but all right man uh, we're we're gonna wrap it up. Uh, we hope the people enjoyed the the uh, episode here tonight. You know a lot of news to discuss, a couple guests. Uh, you know, Rob, as we always say, we, we do this for the people get at us, uh, hit us up on social media at sweep the rack on all social media accounts, uh, sweep the rack at gmail.com. If you want to email us, if you want to reach out, you know, anybody who wants to, uh, get, give us, uh, ideas about what, what direction you want to see the show going, possible guests, anybody who wants to be a guest, feel free to hit us up. We'd love to have you on. Uh, any stories we need to be aware of, don't be afraid to reach out. We're willing to discuss whatever. Uh, yeah, so so definitely get at us. We're, we're not hard to find. And, uh, Rob, we'll catch up with the people next week. You got any final thoughts? Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's a good episode. Like I said, these are the interviews that I, I enjoy, like Dougie and, and Farrow. And, uh, you know, hit us up with, like I said, social media and just, you know, give us your thoughts on the show and, and what's going on. I know a lot of people are doing it. Uh, so it's cool to hear from a lot of you, the fans and, and what's going on in, in, in your world, in your bowling world. So, uh, you know, Mike, have a good week. Uh, Thanksgiving, enjoy the holiday with your family. Uh, you know, eat too much. And then, yeah, we'll we'll talk a- a- after the holiday. Yeah, absolutely. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Enjoy the holiday and uh, we'll get up with them. Rob, hit the music, man. You are now listening to Sweep the Rack Podcast featuring Brooklyn Rob and Big Mike.